What's up, Achievers? It's me, your host and friend, Billy Power. Welcome to another installment of the Urban Achiever Show. My guest this week is the frontman and founding member of the Ataris. It's hard to believe, but this year is the 20th anniversary of the band. Chris is a really great guy who I've known casually over the years, and it was fun to get to know him a little better. I want to send a shout out to our mutual friend, Lewis from Gasoline Heart, who connected us and bassist Brian, who made sure we were on the guest list. Thanks, guys. The Ataris are currently finishing a U.S. tour where they have been performing the Blue Skies Broken Hearts Next 12 Exits record. I caught them at a couple of these shows, including Maxwell's in Hoboken, which is where we met up. And for the first time ever for this show, we took to the streets and conducted the interview outside on the Hudson River waterfront at Maxwell's Place Park. It was a beautiful evening and a great conversation, so let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Mr. Chris Rowe. How's it going? Yeah, it's good. Had a nice little walk down here to the water. Lovely. And, uh, it's beautiful. Maybe, maybe we'll see Solly land a plane, another plane in the, in the yeah. Hudson. Yeah. Hopefully not. That would be terrifying, but... This is like <laughs> some week you and I are having. We're yeah, here it's at the cool. water. But uh, yeah, man. Marriage it's... equality, parade, <laughs> pride parade, we're down yeah, here Maxwell. It's been a very, very eventful week. That's really pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. So you you went to the Pride Parade today? Yeah, we were there. I went to we go to church at Irving Plaza. Oh, cool. they have funny. church there? They do. Yeah. Wow. Um, church where I play like, a rock show. I know, and I've gone to many shows there. Actually, <laughs> I saw Flag with TSOL there. I think I I've got some of those. Sh- the audio from those shows. That's I'm constantly searching for the full audio of that sh- the soundboard of that show. Dude, because, that show is awesome. Oh my gosh, I, we played with them twice, and it, it blew my mind how good yeah. they were. I watched them on the side of the stage and sing every song. Yeah, incredible. If you watch the video from Flag at Grows Rock Festival in Belgium, you'll see me with my fedora standing on the side of the stage just really? shouting every word. Nice. I'm, yeah, I was geeking out. So I got bad. the shirt. I'm like wearing that shirt out with the names with on the it. names, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that stuff. Yeah, I got the watch. Oh, our bass player Brian has one of those. He uh, has the hand. He has the handwritten one though. Yeah, he he, he, he wanted I me like to know the black one better though. <laughs> yeah. I, I think those white ones kind of. Yeah, I, I just wear but a his white was watch. drawn, I guess, in Sharpie by the artist yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah, Sherry drew it. I've got me and my girlfriend have matching little generic uh, Napoleon Dynamite looking Casio nice. Illuminators. Yeah, because we're really nerdy like that. I, I want to get my buddy and I are get, going to get the uh, Fifty Years of Milo one. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. It was the cover of Filter magazine, and he's wearing. He's like shaking his fist, and he has like. Oh, I love that. Glasses with oh, the, like, a, he has the bags under his yeah. eyes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting one. old. No, that's me, actually. I've got bags, too. <laughs> i got more baggage than uh, the, the airport here, probably. I don't know. No, I don't know. Nice. Um, it's pretty terrible. So just tell me, like, what when you were a little guy, like, what's your first, like, earliest musical memory? Um, well, 
uh, as a kid, my dad had the greatest record collection from, I don't know, The Who, The Stones, uh, Sabbath. Uh, uh, I don't know. He, he liked a lot of like the hard rock stuff, whereas my mom liked the Beatles and a lot of the 50s era stuff. Like she liked the psychedelic era Beatles, too. But for me, like I had both sides from from them. And that was always a real blessing to like have this great musical um, input from both of them. Mm-hmm. And so for me, at, like I remember being two years old and having pictures of myself in like 79 with kiss posters on my wall. And I remember, you know, doing like full kiss makeup for Halloween. And yeah. My parents were really, really like. Um, Which character were you? I, well, then I really loved drums. I started playing drums. Okay. I was Peter Chris. But yeah. In hindsight, you know, I always loved Ace Freely. But I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, my, I have a, my, my baby book. It said for '79. It says my mom and dad got me this Kiss eight track. It was uh, of uh, Kiss Alive, and I snuck up in somehow snuck up in the closet and got it prior to Christmas and snuck around behind the door and they caught me opening it up with the package, the wrapper everywhere. And <laughs> they thought for my effort, they're like, well, let's just let him have it. Yeah, and, yeah. and so, yeah, I remember, I remember being like two and three and having all my kiss albums. And I would sit in my room and just listen to all my kiss LPs. And, uh, I liked Blondie a lot too. Blondie was another one of like, mm-hmm. um, like my favorites. I don't know. I had like a weird, like kind of little, little, uh, like collection of records that I liked. Uh, and then, I think first time I discovered like punk rock or uh, music that I felt like I related to on a level I could actually play was uh, I uh, got this compilation that the artist Pusshead put out called Cleanse the Bacteria and it had seven seconds and uh, Poison Idea and a bunch of like bands from all over the, over the world. It was kind of like one of those like weird comps with just all this weird crust and noise and grind but for me like it was weird because it was like uh i didn't know i'm like this is how it's supposed to sound but it was like (laughs) most of the bands were speaking foreign languages i just thought like they could be aliens for all i knew it was just like this new thing that was so uh fresh and exciting and um i think i discovered it because like metallica would always wear like these zorlax skateboard t-shirts and and plus that was the artist and i remember seeing that comp and i'm like i want to buy that that art is so cool and uh it was always just a testament why I loved the artwork being a big part of the music because, uh, you know, it should represent what's inside. And yeah. so, you know, from that, I mean, I think I got into the Misfits and uh, then the Descendants and the Ramones and then uh, later the Replacements. And so, like, I tend to like melody. So to me, the bands like Black Flag, I didn't really re- really appreciate that till later mm-hmm. because I wanted songs I could sing along with and uh, people that were singing about girls and things that, like, I related, related to. to. Yeah. And, uh politics and things I started to relate to later when I was old enough to like be convicted about something or at least think I was, you know, right. everyone at 15 thinks they're convicted about <laughs> veganism. We or, got it you know, all figured out yeah, at 15, <laughs> 20, 21. You're like, God, I was a moron. And then 25, you look back at the kid at 21. You're like, I was still a moron. And every five years I have this like, kind of like thought that I always think the guy five years ago had it figured out, but I didn't, I yeah. didn't know shit. Right. And you never will. You know, I like now we that. Got helicopters now. That reminds me of that. Uh, um, Rollins quote that I love. I quote what is all the it? time. Knowledge without mileage is bullshit. That's pretty good. That's a good one. <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> right? It's true. I always kind of say to my mom, and I love my mom dearly, but I always wish that, you know, she's really like stuck in this like mentality. She, I grew up in, for those who didn't know, I grew up in central Indiana, a small town, uh, a town northeast of Indianapolis called Anderson, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Probably population like uh, maybe, uh, God, I don't know, it's below 50,000. It was, it used to be the biggest uh, GM automobile factory uh, outside of Detroit until uh, the 35,000 jobs that were there are now zero. My right. dad worked there for about 37 years and mm-hmm. probably everybody else in the town. Um, but 
she's still there. And, you know, me, I moved when I was 19 and I moved to California to play music. Lived in L.A., Santa Barbara, and then Phoenix. And then I, uh, I got married, briefly moved back to Indiana, and now I'm uh, kind of full-time nomad. Nice. <laughs> my girlfriend lives in Chicago, so I spend a lot of time there. But, cool. um, but anyway, Chicago. I've always yeah. wanted to, like, for my mother to hope that she'll, like, get a travel. Even even to, like, drive 10 hours from Indiana, to me, it's like nothing. And I'd be like, just go see New York. Go see three hours to Chicago. It will, like, enlighten your spirit and your heart and, like, mm-hmm. make you feel so many things. And for her, she's just so content in the way she lives. And I've the older I get, the more I just have to realize it's like, you know, that's just who she is. And, uh, yeah. you know, but, uh, I mean, I'm sure for you, it's the same for me. It's like when you hear a record for the first time, it like wakes up these parts of you that you never knew you had. Or if you go to a museum, yep. same thing. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, some people are just content with uh, living their little life in a small town. And <laughs> When I was uh, in seventh grade living in San Diego, North County, San Diego, Fallbrook, we took like one of those educational field studies trips where we flew across to, we went to Lancaster, we went to Amish country, we went to D.C., we right. went to all the D.C. stuff and all the museums. <laughs> we almost hit some Amish the other night, driving, yeah, nice. driving to Lancaster. <laughs> yeah, That's weird. Yeah. And we went to the city and that like left such a like indelible impression on me, like being that young and going to like New York and like, you know, going That's to great. Broadway and going to the museums and D.C. and all that stuff. And I always tell young people who live in those kind of like small town kind of things, it's like, dude, go see the world. Go like even if it's a small trip, go to another city, go to another town. Yeah. You know, I think traveling is such an important thing to That's experience my favorite thing. Other I mean, stuff, you know, I love playing music, but to me, they go hand in hand and there would be no music without the travel for me. I mean, you could take away one. I mean, I could sit in my room and maybe I'd have like a good like few months of songs in me and if I was stuck in my room the rest of my life I think I'd finally just clam up but then I'd get out and just take a drive for one night and then I'd have a new song in me and that's just yeah. how I write I'm a very visual like very Experiential, yeah whatever. yeah and you just yeah. write what you see you know I'm a very like stream of consciousness storyteller kind of writer and, and if I don't have like you know something like to look at the skyline that we're looking at right now and I, I could write something from that but I can't like sit in a room for more more than like a little while not feel like I'm just completely confined so yeah. you know I feel that yeah but um so those are like the first the bands and that kind of stuff do mm-hmm. you remember like the first concert that you went to oh yeah I went to uh, for sure Thanksgiving 1987 I went and saw Metallica with my father and then Justice for All tour really? or it was 88 it was 88 or 87 I'm not sure it was one or the other yeah. like in Indianapolis Indianapolis or? at Market Square Arena okay. which I later saw Smashing Pumpkins there, played Melancholy in the Infinite Sadness album. I uh, nice. saw Judas Priest and Megadeth. I, I was like a metal kid, but metal in the sense of like hard rock, like Maiden and Metallica, and then I liked Slayer and some of those bands too. But mm-hmm. I liked that because it had the attitude of what I liked about punk rock later, but it wasn't, you know, it was still real and honest and uh, and it had the aggression that I liked as a, as a teenager. But then, like I said, I liked Melody, so I, I also loved The Smiths and, you know, The Cure and My Bloody Valentine, all this stuff. And I discovered all that from watching 120 minutes on yeah, TV sure. as a kid. Yeah. I'd sneak up on Sunday nights and watch that and the young ones at British Comics yeah, Presents yeah. and Monty Python. Sure. And that was my schooling in a small town. I'm we not had... going to kill myself yeah. today. <laughs> I love that show. I yeah. love it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it was such a good show. And, and yeah, I think kids miss out on that because now there's so much stuff at your disposal. But because of that, it's harder for people to know what to like filter and what to f- right. try to search out. Yeah, know? yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's good because also if you have... Uh, the opportunity to uh, record music and you you know in your house or your bedroom you can put it online and within five minutes somebody in Russia or Indonesia or yeah. wherever could hear your song I love that where before you'd yeah. have to have a guy bring it to a guy who <laughs> went overseas and right. then it traveled and that's insane <laughs> to think that now yeah. 
It's just so simple. You yeah. Know? No not, gatekeepers, man. No, not at all. It's weird. <laughs> a few bucks, you can just put that thing up there, and yeah. uh, next but, thing you know. But that's like a blessing and a curse, because I'm, I'm always like of the feeling that, and I think most bands that started before maybe 2005 probably would think that, you know, that whole climb, the uh, the feeling of like actually struggling and trying to build yourself up from nothing in, mm-hmm. in, in a world free of like like social networks and technology of that kind was so rad because, you know, you really had to go out and, I mean, dude, I remember a, a, a time on tour when we had a show in like somewhere in North Dakota and we got to the show and it was this kid's house and we're like, what's going on? And we went up to the house and we're like, uh, is this is where the show is? And there was the kid's mom and she goes, oh no, Billy's down in South Dakota. That's where you guys are playing. Oh. And our booking agents were like, mother. Oh, and I no. swear he wrote it down backwards. So we were supposed yeah. to be five hours south. And so we had to turn around and we got there and it was four people five in a garage. Hours. We drove halfway across the state and back God. to play for four people. But it was right. great. Sure. And then, Probably the story I tell the most about, like for early touring memories, would be we were on our first tour out west, or from out west back east. Uh, for we were living in California at the time, this would be our first uh, cross country tour. We were meeting up with Lagwagon to do some shows in Canada. We had like two shows with them, and then we had to book all our way out to Toronto. <laughs> and in hindsight, it's really dumb, but I mean, we had like five shows to get to Toronto from the west coast, but we made it happen. First show we played in the basement of a bagel shop in Albuquerque. We got paid a dollar a head and a bag, a trash bag of day old bagels. Dude, we had bagels. We got bagels in Nyack, New York, when we were on tour. Oh, did and they I, pay I, you in yeah, them? and we kept them in our trailer like forever until they were like, you know, like rock hard. Right. That's the rest of my story. We were with this smelly, garlicky trash bag of yeah, bagels. Everything. Bagels. We made five dollars. <laughs> five people showed up, yeah. and we had a bagel fight with these hard bagels till we were black and blue marks all over us, nice. and our van reeked of onions and garlic. But then by the time we got to the East Coast, um, we noticed that like people started catching on and, and we had the Sandima song. Uh, well, th- no, that actually, that was a tour after. We had the Sandima song on a uh, comp that Fat Wreck put out, mm-hmm. this fat music comp, and people started like knowing the songs. And by the time we got to the East Coast, we realized like, oh, people are starting to like catch on to this. And then uh, it went from the beginning of the tour, there was five people, and the end of the tour, we were playing for like 150. So yeah. that's when we first started to notice like, all right, we're starting to get some people that actually, nice. you know, care about this thing we care about as well. You only know what you've been taught. You'll never stop, you can't cut. You control the future when it's looking bleak. Seems like we're headed for another losing streak when the fire's burning bright. And still we act like everything's alright. I guess if we ignore it, we will probably go away. If you I heard this interview with uh, one of the guys from Arcade Fire, and he was he worked for some government agency part time, and wow. he, he had brought his work with him on their one of these early tours that they went on, <laughs> wow. like where he had to process all this paperwork, you know, like one of those like cardboard file boxes yeah, with all these files I, I on it, whatever. Those, uh, and they started basically blowing up on this tour, and at some point they ceremoniously like Burned lit it? it on fire That's on the side amazing. of the road. Yeah, that was like oh, this man. is the end of my uh, working for you know the government of Canada. That's rad. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Uh, I remember when that happened. We were I was dating this girl from. Central Missouri, and they played 
in, in Columbia, Missouri, they played the basement of this uh, this little basement club. I saw Deerhoof play there in that same little indie art space that probably holds 30 people. Arcade Fire play there the same week on the flyer. Yeah. And I swear, like the next year, I'm like, first off, I was like, how do you fit a 12-person band in this in this place? Right. Because it was the size of a hole. And then later, I'm like, wow, this band is like totally killing it now. Good for them, you know. Yeah. But uh, you know, to start out as a four piece, economically, you know, you can do it. You can get in a van right. and actually probably come home with a little money, even if you're struggling. But to have twelve, 12. people, yeah, or, or nine, or eight, or whatever, I mean, it's like three bands. Yeah, you're, you're feeding three bands off a hundred dollars a day, yeah. and that's that's impossible. You're probably spending so much money out of pocket. But, I can't even imagine. You know, I mean, but you're doing something really unique and cool because I yeah. I love all the. You know, really, I mean, some of my favorite bands are those big ensembles like Godspeed or Mogwai or, or any of those bands. Polyphonic Spree. I, they're, yeah, they're really huge. They have all the choir. <laughs> like 50 people. Some of those bands, yeah. I mean, I, you'd have to think that when some of those bands were starting, they probably had a more scaled back version of the thing. Right. I saw Bowie and they were the opener. And I was like, how do they travel with this many people? Like, do they have like five buses? You know, they have to break s- them down into smaller groups. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're in group like, B. Okay. Choir, you're riding with, uh, with the, 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 Dodge neon behind us, right, or, you right. know. That's yeah, weird. I don't know. But, <laughs> that's great. Oh, look at this dog. He's rad. I got a French bulldog. Man. Oh, that is a cool that, dog. That big bulldog is amazing. Nice. Yeah, he's a pudgy little guy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Doing his business over there. It's pretty rad. Nice. nice day. I can't get over how nice it is. I know right it's now. amazing. This, this will be. You're gonna ruin me now for every other interview. <laughs> like this is gonna be like for sure the most scenic and the nicest. Beautiful. Beautiful. Weather. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's been like 90 for like anybody. Listen, it's been like 90 the rest of the week. It was miserable all day. Even. It was hot and humid earlier. Yeah. Like crazy. It, down, it wasn't as bad where we were. It seemed like it was overcast. But I mean, yeah, I, I believe it. Up here the last week, it was pretty, pretty yeah. miserable. So you said that early on you were into drums. When did you start uh, getting interested in playing other instruments and that kind of thing? Uh, my dad bought me a drum kit when I was five. Mm-hmm. Uh, right about the same time my parents split up. They got divorced. But then they later got remarried. But during really? the time they were divorced, yeah, it's a weird statistic. I, I'll tell you what, <laughs> what happened in that. But um, basically, uh, the, he, I kept the drum set over at his house. Mm-hmm. And he was, at that time, he was more erratic and he was kind of like an alcoholic. And then he later mm-hmm. got clean and, and, you know, ended up being this rad person later when I turned about 15. Uh-huh. They got divorced at five and they got remarried when I was 11. And about the time 15, he got clean and sober and he, Ended up being this rad dad in the last days. Cool. And, uh, but the drum set was always over there, and I think he had a party and people trashed it. I think I just lost interest. Yeah. And then later, in probably the last like seven, eight years, I started playing drums again just because I always write the drum parts in our songs, and I would always want to be able to, like, instead of going, all right, this goes do, do, da, do, do, you know, I wanted to sit behind the drum so I can show my drummer, right. all right, this is kind of the, the feeling of this song. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I started playing drums again recently, and uh, I bought a, a little Ludwig kit. It's cool. And, um, but uh, I started playing last year for that's the first rad. time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess when you when you you know have have your kids seven drum do, sets uh, in the building, you have no excuses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's rad. You know, you should be able to like mess around on other stuff. And yeah. I just like being able to like play what's in my head. And I and like I, with the Atari's is always a thing where I always played all the parts except for the drums, and I wanted to be able to play drums to show our drummer parts. So it was yeah. like, but guitar I picked up. I started playing when I was about 10, and I think I probably actually started to get confident and good about it when I was, like, in my early teens. And then uh, I had an early band, a local band in, in Indiana. Where Were you I just, self-taught, or did you go uh, Yeah, I just taught myself. I'd, like, I could always, always had an ear where I could just hear something and immediately play it back. And mm-hmm. um, the more and more I, like, like, I just loved music and listened to music, I would just pick up on stuff. But, um... Yeah, my first band, most of those songs I wrote, the music and the melodies and the lyrics, 
and then I, I didn't sing at the time. And then our singer was kind of a fuck up. And, you know, he was he was a good dude and he had a great attitude. But problem was, it was just, he, he you know, it was one of those things where it was more of like small town Indiana. It was a garage band and, and we, we, we mm. were good. I mean, we had a solid band, but what was that uh, band called? Uh, we were, our name was Severe and Profound. It was like, uh, nice. I guess we were, we, we you know, it was it, most of those songs ended up on the early uh, Atari's album. There uh-huh. was a bunch of extra leftover songs, which I re-recorded some of them recently at our uh, our uh, dr- oh, our drummer in the studio. His name is Bob Hogue, and he has a studio That's in cool. Arizona. And Bob, uh, we re- re-recorded like six of those songs because I'm like, oh, these are good, fun punk rock songs. I want to record them for something, um, not for the Atari's album, but maybe just for like a little just fun to do it. Side album yeah. thing, and uh, but yeah, that that band uh, just fizzled out, and everybody you know just didn't have the focus for it. And I was like, that's when I realized like I can sing. I sing along with records. I know what I want these songs to be, and I started singing, and I had my own little four track recorder, uh, a little Fostex or a Tascam. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I started just writing what became the first Atari's album, Anywhere But Here, and then eventually I met Joe Escalani from the Vandals. Yeah. Uh, I was never uh, somebody who listened to the Vandals. I, they, they opened for the Queers at this like $5 show with them and Mr. T Experience at mm. Bogarts in Cincinnati. It was Friday the 13th, 96. I went to that show, and my buddy Jason, who I played with at the time, was me, him, and a drum machine. Mm-hmm. Jason's like, hey, the Vandals are starting a label. Uh, they could maybe help us find a drummer. You want me to give him one of your cassette demos? I'm like, sure. So they did, and then they wrote me a letter in the mail. It's like, hey, we'd love to put out your record. And I'm like, is this a joke? What is, you know? And, and I wrote them. I'm like, well, this is me and a drum Wait, machine. They wrote you a letter. They yeah, sent you a letter. There was a there was a phone number in the cassette tape. It says, uh, band, we're looking for a drummer. If you know any drummers, and uh, oh. but then all that was left was an address because the phone was like not working. Oh wow! So they wrote me a letter, and I got That's it. That's epic. Uh, they, uh, from that, I through uh, the mail. Derek Plored, or from Lagwagon, our yeah. first drummer. And, he lived in Santa Barbara and he moved out to California or from California to Indiana for a while and, and played with us. That's cool. And then, uh, but that three piece didn't really last. Mm-hmm. I moved to Santa Barbara. That was a good thing that came out of that. And, uh, eventually met the beginning. Uh, I put together the lineup that was me, Mike Davenport, the first bass player, Chris Knapp, the first drummer mm-hmm. who was all the way up through song Astoria. And then we had a few rotating live guitarists, but, um, that was just a live lineup except the drummer and I, we recorded the Was albums. Andy at Kung Fu when you guys yeah, were Yeah, Andy DeVino. She's yeah. really nice. Yeah, I always, always liked her a lot. I met uh, I met him. I learned to play bass to Vandals Records when I was oh, a no kid. Kidding. So, and I was like a huge fan. Like of Like early Vandals when it was yeah, like yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and Joe yeah. was the drummer. Peace through Vandalism and all that stuff. Yeah, whatever. yeah. And uh, she... Uh, I, I think they really came in their own, in my opinion, for like, yeah. like Hitler Bad and those albums. And I only heard those. It was a different band, though. I mean, because I, 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 lo- I, mean, I watched Suburbia as a sure. kid. Yeah, me that, too. That movie, and that was like the Vandals that you grew up with. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. 38, like, yeah, I toured Pirate with Life the and all that. Yeah. But anyway, all I was going to say about that is because I got, I became friends. I met Joe at uh, Meet Him. It's like a conference. Yeah, in we were there uh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. Vegas. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, actually, the one in France or whatever. Oh, there was one in Vegas one year. Oh, did they have it in Vegas? It was a similar conference. And I met Alice Cooper that when he was walking through the hall in his golf shirt. But uh, anyway, it's not long. Cool. Yeah, they just left their merch in my garage. So it was like one of those like cool. funny like kind of things where they pull up the bus in the middle of the night and like, Grab like what are these stuff. guys doing? Yeah, like because they were going to Canada and they didn't want to get, you know, hit. Oh, yeah. We would always rent a hotel room. room right on the other. What's that? Longview, Washington. Yeah. Whatever the, the border Washington town is, leave most of our merch there yeah. for 30 bucks at a Motel 6. Pick our merch up on the way back. Yeah, home. yeah. Because, yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you're going to get taxed on 10 boxes when you only have one show in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. That's cool. So now you were you were out in California, and then I lived in California for ten years, roughly. I did five years in Santa Barbara, and then I moved. 
uh, to LA for a couple years, a few years. And then yeah. I moved back to Indiana probably in like 2007. So it was like 2007, eight and nine bought a house. Then I got rid of it and got divorced. Then I moved, uh, to, uh, I met a girl in Indiana and I, and we eventually moved to Arizona together, lived there for a little bit. Yeah. And then, um, we split up and I moved, kind of uh, moved out of a place there and bought an RV. And now I just kind of like travel Cruise around, around. full-time nomad. Nice. I'm not touring. Yeah. I don't really have a, a place I call my home now, but I mean, I'd oh, like to awesome. say I'm from Indiana, but my heart's <laughs> somewhere between California and Arizona. I was just curious about that because that Northern California stretch of road is like one of my favorite. Oh, like I tell too. people yeah, all the time, fly great. to LA, rent a car, just drive up. If you've never driven totally. up that coastal drive the up best. there is so beautiful. If you do like the 101 at sunset too, that's great too. Like from Ventura up to Santa Barbara where it's just all ocean on your left. And the redwoods one, and all yeah, that stuff. It's is great. I lived else. in Ventura for like six months and that was great. Yeah. And uh, right, right near the ocean. That was cool. That's yeah. cool. I like all that area. I'd yeah. live there if it wasn't so expensive. Yeah, it's you know, it's expensive. Pay for where you live, you know. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Well, what like I'm curious also like you've been doing this now like what 20 years or something like that. Yeah, at this about. Point? I mean, I started the band like I just say 96. Yeah. And, and uh, so yeah, about tw- almost 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. What What do you feel like is the thing that like keeps you doing it aside from the travel stuff we talked oh, about? Oh, I mean, whatever. I just you know. You still Probably, love it? Oh, yeah. It's it's my it's my favorite thing to do. I, I love meeting people, playing songs, having people come up to me and say something I wrote was like connected to them on a level that all these great artists connected to me. I mean, that's still surreal to me. Mm-hmm. I'm still the guy where if somebody tells me that, I'm like, nah, come on, no. I just, <laughs> I can never be anything more than humble because that's just, you know, I'm just still like, it's strange. It's like, you know, you grew up just some weird awkward kid that, that loved music and then suddenly you know you end up doing what you loved and it's surprising but also like you know you worked hard for it but you can never be jaded about it because this is not your character yeah. so I, I just feel like yeah it's the only thing I know and will ever do and uh, I, I do photography as well but that's just something that's like it feeds the the travel feeds that and so does the music so I mean like yeah. uh, I mean I took all the like I took that Blue Skies photo on the cover of our album and I and I've always kind of done the photography from our other albums so that's I'll continue doing that but uh, yeah if I wasn't doing this I don't know what I'd do I mean probably just you know drive a drive a big rig or something because <laughs> I'd still get to travel and be weird yeah. and be a hillbilly um, but yeah I I, uh, I don't know I mean maybe I'd like save up my money and just backpack backpack around and be a weird nomad character somewhere yeah yeah uh, uh but yeah i mean i guess for the horizon for us i mean we put a bunch of new songs on our Bandcamp page that are like a donation kind of pay what you want and those are from like a, a larger body of work a full-length album that will eventually come out called the graveyard of the atlantic and then uh there's about 20 other songs i recorded but i've got to finish vocals to most of those <laughs> and then i've written like 30 more on top of that so <laughs> i'm just gonna like narrow down the best 12 or 13 of that yeah. and then uh finish them up and then that will uh that's what's next. I uh, intend to do some more recording after this tour, this Blue Skies tour we're on. Yeah. And I. You're out for like another month, right? All yeah, of July. We finish and- on the West Coast in the end of July. And uh, yeah, there's there's still another month of dates. And you find them on our Facebook or any of that other social media stuff, Instagram, all that. I run all that so people can find those dates if they want them and want to come out and see a show. Yeah. Yeah. It's been That's a lot cool. of fun playing this Blue Skies album because there's a lot of songs we've never played live. And. Uh, it's cool to like 
dig deep and play a bunch of album tracks that people don't request, as well as the songs like San Dimas and Your Boyfriend Sucks that are on that album that we already play in like every show. Yeah. It's always funny though when people are like, hey man, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. You guys, you know, I've never seen you play those songs or play more old stuff. It's like, if you didn't know <laughs> and you didn't come see us, you wouldn't know that like no one's ever happy. 80% of our set is generally old fan favorites. But right. yeah, no one is ever happy. I've can't learned please a anybody. You can't, yeah. You can't. If you play a set of all old songs, there'll be four people like, hey, play more new songs. Yeah. And you play four new ones. They're like, Guys, play more old songs. I just think, ah, play what I want to play, and hopefully at the same time make a set that people want to hear too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What do you feel like, I'm also curious about like, you know, you had that era of the major label era of the band and all the, you know, being all huge and all that stuff whenever now you're kind of- That was always positive for us. I mean, there was nothing I can say bad about it except for- the one thing that I, I, I'm still like, you know, I never regret anything, but, you know, if there, was, if there was one thing, I'm like, you know, well, that wasn't how it's meant to be. But at the time, you know, I think I eventually learned to just roll with like, once you get your music out there to so many people, it just becomes this kind of like moving vehicle that you just have to like let, it belongs to the people, you know, at that point. Right. But I mean, we were going, our first single was a song in this diary and we were going to film a video for the song My Reply, which is this very personal song that I wrote about. A girl wrote us a letter and she was going through like, a, she had an eating disorder, but I wrote the song in a way where it was like written for anyone who's like gone through some sort of hardship and mm-hmm. uh, ready to film this video that was really personal and intense and uh k-rock in la the big station added boys of summer as the single and they were mm-hmm. like guys this is your second single i'm like really you can do that <laughs> they just I was still, yeah because <laughs> to me we put that song on, this, on the album is like uh it was a tribute to my grandmother who had passed away because mm-hmm. when i was a kid in florida uh it was right when my parents got divorced and it was this rainy shitty summer and i was down there and it was a hurricane and i didn't get to go to disney or do any of the stuff that you do as a kid that i'd normally do and i was missing my folks wow. so my grandma was like hey i'm gonna take you out to like uh at the time like kmart or whatever store <laughs> still sold lps on the, on the end caps and just yeah. like I'll let you pick on any record so you can have something to listen to wow. and i so I, I remember that don henley album building the perfect beast was out Mm-hmm. And I loved that song. It was on the radio. I'd always like tape songs off the radio on my little cassette recorder. I'm like, I want that album. And uh, so when she died, it always reminded me of her. So we're, we put it on the album. It's like, maybe this will go on some soundtrack. And so when it became a single, I was it's like, like an afterthought. Yeah, like, it's an yeah, afterthought. Totally. And, <laughs> and, you know, but in hindsight, I'm like, well, we did the song justice and we really kept it so true to the original, just made it more of like, our stamp on it that I think we were kind of naive to think that it w- it was already a hit for Don Henley and we didn't change anything that like how could have not and I and I really feel like those people or at least the radio guy yeah he just knew that you know the label was going to start collapsing and he knew he could just like make an easy buck and I'm like you know it was a cheap thing because I mean the R.A.N.R. guy was really behind us and he was definitely one of those guys that was like wanted to see us in for the long run but he eventually lost his job and you know we were on Sony for one album and it was a great great run there and you know for me I like doing this band uh very DIY and doing. Yeah, I wondered myself, if you so. like I, that. Kind of the gist of what I wanted to get to yeah. is like, if you like the the simplicity of the guys very in the much. band just doing the thing. But and- you know, I tried to keep that as much as I could then. But you know, the thing is, and I like heard like Kurt from Nirvana say this even like, you know, you can't like fight this big machine of how things are happening you know you can try as much as you want to keep your band this like diy thing but eventually keep it pure or yeah whatever. <laughs> but eventually like you, you've got to like at least you'll yeah. drive yourself crazy you're better off without him don't call him he's breaking your heart he's
I always yeah, but, like, but being uh, at a label, you you know, you need to promote things. And I always thought Tooth and Nail had had a really good like artwork and and branding. There was, yeah, there was a good brand, and all the layouts were good. And I think Kung Fu didn't really have that at the beginning. And yeah. I tried to steer Joe in the right direction with that. And I think I was the first one to really step up and be like, dude, packaging and and that sort of thing really helps. Because and all I was doing oh. is looking at all those like. I mean. Yeah. Come on. Well, look, you get yeah. like a good icon, Raymond like, Pettibone, a good logo, man. Yeah. or a good, you know, it's exactly. Like... And uh, and I think you know some of the <laughs> bands want to send love, a message, you know. <laughs> exactly. It, it's a package. Look at Bowie or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was there was a thing, you know. I, I really feel that's important. So just let me know when you get. Oh, um, gotta get back. We what time do we play? Uh, nine. Okay. Yeah, we should Five probably eight. go only because yeah, I'm yeah. gonna sell merch. We'll but, wrap it up. But yeah, that's. I, cool. I, I only wanted to just compliment you to yes, say sir. that. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate your positiveness and everything. And I noticed that that show, some of your old band members kind of they made a little bit of a comment of like the real Ataris <laughs> or something like. And I saw you laugh, and I saw Brian Player was doing yeah, yeah. sound, yeah. And, and you know it was weird because the whole tour. It, it was great, and I really what, what I felt like that night. If people didn't, you know, that little dig, I just think that like it was the last night of the tour, and I love John, the guitar player, and I just feel like it was probably one of those things where you know he feels really invested in the band, and I. But I gotta remind him, he quit. Yeah, I loved playing with John. I had no problem him. You know, right. he and I. You know, granted, I can be hard to deal with when it comes to being in a van for a long time, but like we had a good band. It was solid. You know, I really am proud of our album we did. With, you know, with a, as a seven piece. Welcome tonight. And I, I think, you know, John had to do what he had to do. And in the end, you know, the other two guys, I just think it was a difference of opinions with everybody. And those guys, I think for a while, it was like putting the party before the band. But in the end, you know, we were able to get back and play one tour. And I think cool. that really helped what I do. And yeah. it brought some people out that probably hadn't come to see the band. And that's really what I hoped. Yeah. And they've come back and seen us again. And they checked out some new songs we put out. And they realized, you know, I feel I feel like at least most of them realize, you know, my heart's in this band. And no matter, you know, who else is playing with me, I'm going to make sure these songs sound as true to what they were when I wrote them. And uh, I think now live, at least I've had this so many times this tour, people say they think the song sounds so much stronger than they did before. You and sound I really, great. Thanks. Yeah, I really seriously. appreciate that. You sound great. I, I wouldn't be playing them if I felt we were just rehashing something and we were just like beating a dead horse. Not everybody sounds great at 20 years in, you know? No, no, no. I think, I think. <laughs> kind of like, okay, buddy, it's enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I never, I've never wanted to give myself a compliment, but I feel like I've only gotten stronger as a writer and a singer. And, and uh, you know, as players, the, the four of us, like I said, I feel we're a unit. And I feel on that last tour, we all, I really worked with everybody and on the Song Astoria tour to make it sound better and also stronger and more fresh too. And I think we did. But uh, yeah, I definitely felt like that, that last night. To me, that tour ended in Boston. Yeah. The Boston show was great. The next night in New York, I think everybody was just once again too wrapped up with the fact it was the last yeah, show to yeah. focus on. A lot of emotions. Yeah, you know, that. to me, I always focused on this is the band first. I mean, most of the time. I mean, I was guilty of like in the time, like letting myself get won over by, you know, drama in my own life, be it marriage or, you know, other bullshit. But I mean, I feel like, yeah, that last night was weird, but the Boston show was great. I wish you saw that one, man. It was awesome. But, um, yeah, well, it was a great show. No, it was cool. It was cool. But yeah, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> but on, on a good note though, yeah, we're, we're playing and having fun and it's, it's been cool and it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I've seen you now in like three different Kentucky and New Jersey and oh, New York. Oh yeah, that show was bad. Yeah, yeah the, the, the show the other night we played good in New York. This this yeah, hopefully yeah. it'll be good. Maxwell's is all right. Cool. Yeah, yeah. they're back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, Chris. Yeah, I really appreciate you, you doing, man. I appreciate it. It was a good talk. Yeah, pleasure. Chris Rowe, everybody. I wish we'd had some more time to talk, but hey, that's life on the road. 
Chris had merch to sell and a show to play, and I was uh, grateful for the opportunity. I found him to be just a delightful person to talk to. Uh, tonight, July 25th, the Ataris are in Anaheim, California, San Diego on Sunday, and finishing Monday in Las Vegas. If you live in any of these towns, you should definitely go check out this tour. Uh, it's a great show. They did some Misfits covers in their New Jersey encores, and uh, I popped right up front at Maxwell's to yell on skulls. Uh, good times. The clips on today's show included the Atari's San Dimas High School Football Rules, Losing Streak, Your Boyfriend Sucks, and The Last Song I Will Ever Write About a Girl, all from the Atari's album Blue Skies, Broken Hearts, Next 12 Exits, which is a really good breakup record, incidentally. Uh, it got me through my divorce, uh, for sure. As always, the Urban Achiever theme song was written and performed by Ethan Luck and Dan Spencer. You can follow Urban Achiever on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at UrbanAchieverPC. And you can email me anytime at Billy at UrbanAchieverShow.com. This show is 100% listener supported. If you enjoy the program and want to give something back, please go to Patreon.com slash UrbanAchiever. Give a buck a month or whatever you want. You can also purchase show merch at UrbanAchiever.GoBigWin.com. All right, kids, that's it for me this week. Until next time, keep up the good work. I'm proud of you. Is that noise gonna bother? Because if not, we could walk down further. And I could, yeah, you wanna? Yeah, let's just go down towards the water if you want. All right, cool. We just like two men on We're the street. We're just chilling, just walking. Two men walking. <laughs>